Kelsey Meyer Schockel. And I'm Chloe Radcliffe. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. The Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast is about how goodness can be a successful strategy for leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you, so you can radiate goodness every day. Our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays. Today we're missing a voice that you might be familiar with. Uh, Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership Enterprises, is usually one of the hosts of this podcast, but he is currently on a sabbatical. That's right. So today you have Chloe and me. Chloe, will you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, I'm a freelance writer in the Twin Cities. I do uh, everything from executive messaging down to copywriting, and then now I'm starting to dabble in production stuff. I'm working with Good Leadership uh, on their Good Leadership Breakfasts series, uh, which is what we're about to talk about today, and now we're doing the podcast, so that's ex- it's exciting to get into other areas of communications with good leadership. Yeah. So, Kelsey, how about you tell us about yourself? Sure. <laughs> it's been fun working with you, Chloe, at Good Leadership. We've had the opportunity to do a few projects together, and this is one of them. I think you're doing a great job producing, so thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things that's new to me. I'm podcast host, but along with that, I one of my main things is executive coaching, which I love. I love working with people as they figure out how they want to conquer some big challenges in their lives. Yeah, and you, uh, we need to mention, hosted the Good Leadership Breakfast this morning. I sure did. You were the first planned non-Paul host ever, <laughs> right? In what is this, seven years, eight years? Eight years. That's right, I think. Yeah. Nice. It's a good caveat. There was one breakfast, apparently, where he last minute couldn't make it. Where he couldn't it. make it, right. Mm-hmm. But this is the first intentional yes. non-Paul yes. breakfast. It, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about Paul Hillen, um, our, our speaker in the future. He talks about choice. This is the first time there was a choice to have a new host. By Paul Botts, right. By Paul Botts. This is confusing. Too many Pauls. Too many Pauls. <laughs> Uh, well, let's get back to business and then we can get into the meat of what we're talking about. You can find more information about us on the goodleadership.com website and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and goodleadership.com. And we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. Today's podcast focuses on exercising new leadership muscles, and it's featuring Paul Hillen, the chief commercial officer at JM Swank. Yeah, and this is, so for anybody who's confused, this is Paul number two. <laughs> Paul number two. Yeah, Paul Botts. We uh, could go by Botts and Hillen. Yeah, right, we could. Well, oh, okay. In this in this podcast, the Paul we're talking about is Paul Hillen. Yes. Uh, so Paul Hillen spent the first 15 years of his career at Procter & Gamble, and then the second 15 years of his career at Cargill, and his most recent position at Cargill was as chief marketing officer. And in that position, he was a great friend of Good Leadership Enterprises. Uh, Cargill was the first corporate sponsor of the Good Leadership Breakfast. Paul Hillen was a real incredible champion of the work that Paul Botts is doing mm-hmm. here at Good Leadership. Um, and so so he's a dear friend of the firm for that reason. But also, he has this really um, remarkable story of, of, of his, his career story is really – mainly about a major shift between two radically different corporate cultures uh, from P&G to Cargill. And I think his story highlights growth not only in behavior, in how he he acts as a leader, but also how he thinks about himself as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. You can see that. And the other thing that we got to hear from him a little bit about today is the book that he and Paul Botts so the Paul Squared right. combo, <laughs> the book that they're working on called Goodness Pays. So we'll How take a little pays. bit from right. that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, the book is How Goodness Pays, and we get a little bit of a preview of that later on the podcast. So we're excited to debut some of what Paul Hillen had to say around the book, and then, like Chloe said, to talk about his leadership journey. Yeah, so let's get started. Man, Paul Hillen was so funny today. <laughs> yeah. It was really... It was, wild to hear him tell stories of his childhood so he opened um for people listening he opened his speech uh with stories of his childhood in northern wisconsin and it was i was saying to you earlier it felt like a norman rockwell painting but a twisted norman rockwell (laughs) painting yeah there were multiple jokes about how many kids out of the seven would survive yeah right so he was one of he was the seventh of seven right that's right yeah and it was fun because Paul and I had connected before he was on stage, so I got some snippets of his life and perspective before he was sharing the story with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, the things that rang really true for me, so his childhood, the way he framed it, at least, <laughs> he grew up in a very, he called it kind of dog-eat-dog even in his childhood. It was very fend-for-yourself. It was people were self-reliant, and he talked a lot about tough love, which I think fits your description of his childhood. Right. What I and thought that was, it was... And that it was he, he and his six brother and brothers and sisters yes. were always just spending for themselves and their parents sort of expected them to just figure stuff out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but what I made this interesting connection when we were talking because he, then he went on to talk about Procter and Gamble and his time there and how that Which was his culture, first big job after out of college. That's right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And how, first of all, he was incredibly successful there. He moved up really fast and it's an upper out sort of culture. So for those who aren't familiar with that, it means you either get promoted every couple of years or you need to leave. And yeah. so to be successful and to be there for 15 years says a lot about how talented he was and how well he did there. He went up. <laughs> he, he went up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the connection I was making was what you were talking about, you know, his corporate culture shifts. So we're going to talk about his time at Cargill. He was actually really well prepared for P&G's corporate culture based on his family culture. And I always think that that's interesting that we're drawn that it makes sense that you'd be drawn to a culture that's similar to what you're already successful in. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, right, that he's like he's used to fending for himself and he's used to fighting for whatever scrap there is. Right. Whether that's food at a dinner table or whether that's results in a boardroom. Yeah. He's used to doing that. He actually you know, it's funny he um you're right. He described his family as dog eat dog, and then he described Procter and Gamble as dog eat dog. <laughs> Do we? So let's let's listen to him talk about um, Procter and Gamble because he he explains the shift. I guess before we before we listen to it, the thing that really captured my attention was him talking about the shift from Procter and Gamble's mm-hmm. pretty aggressive culture mm-hmm. um, into Cargill's culture after. So he's 15 years at P and G. And he's used to this and he's successful in this. And Cargill takes him. And I'm sure they wanted him because he was mm-hmm. aggressive and he got shit done. And he mm-hmm. went out, you know, right? He's like, he's gunning for results. Right. And he drives those results and he proves himself. Um, but he explained that the Cargill culture was a lot more, I don't a lot softer. I consensus mean, driven consensus would be driven. one yeah, big right, right, element. Right. Mm-hmm. Cons- he, when he talked about it, consensus driven, Cargill is more um, familial, mm-hmm. so it's less stepping on toes. It's, you know, everyone has to come along. We have to check. Even the example that he gave about his executive coach checking in with his boss and then his boss's boss 
And his boss's boss asked what the boss said. This this whole thing of like we don't make a decision unless everyone's in alignment. Sure, sure, sure. So anyway, totally so those, different world. So these wor- worlds are really different, exactly. So okay, so let's listen to him talk about that. That's right. It was kind of eat or be eaten. It was publicly traded company deliver the quarterly earnings. What have you done for me lately? You better come to every meeting and be wired and completely buttoned up. So then I moved over to Cargill. Got to be the same, right? $100 million company, just like P&G, about the same number of employees. Cargill has now about 150,000. P&G had about 120,000 at the time. Couldn't have been more polar opposite. Cargill, more familial, literally family-owned, privately held, more of a consensus building, kind of more of the Minnesota nice, a um, hu- little more huggy, right? A little, <laughs> little different. Um, and more collegial, more consensus building than P&G. So everything that had helped me to be successful at P&G, where those were my strengths, became challenges. And I was getting stuff done. But at times, I felt like John Belushi and Animal House, where he says, you know, we can't give up. Come on, when the, when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, and he runs out of the room, and he's like, hey, and he looks behind him, and no one's behind him. <laughs> I had a choice that I either needed to, I had two choices. I could either change the way that I led and did my work at Cargill, or I could leave. Because my 360 degree was pretty good, He's competent, all those kinds of things, but does he really have our best interest in mind? Is he really empathetic? Or does he invite us to meetings to jam his ideas down our throats? And so Paul and I had that discussion, and Paul helped me through it. And the reason that I stayed and ended up spending 15 years at Cargill is it forced me to exercise new leadership muscles. I became a completely different leader and really balance the two. The Paul that he's, just as a, as a housekeeping note, the Paul that Paul Hillen is referencing in there mm-hmm. is Paul Botts. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were working together because uh, Paul Botts was Paul Hillen's executive coach. Yep, all the Pauls again. Yeah, right, too many Pauls. So one thing that really stuck out to me when Paul Hillen was talking about um, his, his shift in you know, as he's becoming a more balanced leader, what that me- meant is that before he was an unbalanced leader. And he he commented, he said, my 360 review was pretty good. You know, I was competent, I was getting stuff done, but is is he really empathetic? Does he really have our backs? And I hear that and I go, oh man, that sounds bad. That does not sound <laughs> good at all. <laughs> or I mean, like it sounds fine, but it sounds like there's some pretty big holes. Mm-hmm. And I think that really, I think that, perspective, you know, that 10 seconds so succinctly sums up how if someone is, if someone's leadership is out of whack, is is imbalanced, that they see what they value, right? So mm-hmm. he sees on his, th- or, or 15 years ago, he's seeing on his 360 review, competent, 100%, mm-hmm. and that stands out to him, and the lacking empathy, because that wasn't something that he had been taught to value at P&G, mm-hmm. didn't stand out. Yeah, yeah. So I think to take what you're saying, I think you're basically saying we notice and focus on the things that we value. Like mm-hmm. that's where he's putting his energy. Mm-hmm. And so, and I actually do see this and with leaders often. And the things that we're often, to value by right, the culture right, we're in. Right, right, right. Um, but I see that with leaders all the time when I'm coaching them where 
you, it, part of my job, I mean, you could call it a blind spot, right? Mm-hmm. Part of my job is sure. helping them see, yes, you are really great at this one thing that matters to you and that has been a, has been valued at other places that you've been. However, there's still a gap, and and the gap may feel smaller to you, leader, than it feels to your team. Yeah. Or than it feels to your yeah. execs. And frankly, honestly, it usually goes in the direction of team, right? Like, t- p- we're usually pretty good at managing up because our jobs depend on it. Yeah, yep. But what you see, at least what I see, is that the team can get neglected. And that, it sounds like in Hillen's situation, that was that the was health the of case. the team was mm-hmm. being neglected. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And his partnerships was the other thing that we talked about because it's such a collaborative culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, he clearly, he's totally, you know, he looks back with a totally different mentality, but it t- it sounds like it took years. Absolutely. Well, and what I think is so interesting about his journey, what you were calling out even in the language that he used was that it's not like he's a new person. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that his perspective mm-hmm. has entirely changed. Mm-hmm. It's like y- you took a balloon and you made it a little bit bigger. <laughs> you know, there's a little more space for different perspective in it yeah. for him, but he's still not going to be the guy. Like you said, he's not the huggy guy. He's not the Minnesota huggy guy. Right. And that's not going to change. But he's learned how exactly what he said to flex a new leadership muscle. I talk about that a lot in coaching, too, because it is you're just learning how to try something a little bit different. Another great way to think about it is um, I heard someone reference it once as you think you're not trying to go from a square to a circle. You're trying to go from a square to maybe some rounded edges. Sure. You know? Yeah. Right. Make it achievable and and to not lose the core of who you are in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and. Also, you made a point. This was off mic, but I want you to make the point again. <laughs> um, you made a point about the value of, um, of of having those different opinions in 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 a culture that might mm. have gotten a little homogenized. So right. we happened to both work at Target headquarters at the same time. We didn't know each other uh, at that point, but we were both there at the same time, mm-hmm. and that w- we were there in a time when the culture felt pretty homogenous. Absolutely, and probably could have used some injection of diversity of real exactly. genuine diversity so well, that's what i was saying because i i, I um, my last role at target was as a recruiter so we think about diversity in, in through a certain lens mm-hmm. um but i remembered thinking at target like no diversity could look like someone not from the midwest like that would be any sort of diversity you mean Meaning like, that, like you, that's yeah, the low bar like it's a yeah, very right. low bar <laughs> yeah. but but um we saw time and again people coming from say the east coast who had a more direct way of talking and getting stuff done the P- more of a png mentality not working out at hmm. target because there wasn't space to do things differently that's interesting and i think it's really part of it is differentiating between style and intention mm-hmm. and part of and i guess what i loved about hillen's story is that at the end of the day both sides adapted it wasn't just that paul yeah. had to change and transform and grow new muscles the CEO of Cargill at the time said, no, I actually think we need to have an influx of more right. outside perspectives. And that was a part of Hillen's story that we just don't have time yes. to play that that full chunk. But um, yeah, so you're you're advocating for both sides to, you know, to, to compromise. Right. Well, and not just compromise can to some people sound like, oh, that's nice. And Hillen, I'm or, thinking, or Hillen's in even, my head, sure. like, oh, what's the point of compromise? But it's actually for the benefit of both parties yep. in this case. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the, I, I think this is a great time to transition into talking about the How Goodness Pays book. Mm-hmm. Um, because, so Hillen talked about his, 
I, it's funny to feel myself calling him Hillen because I don't like it. That's not <laughs> doesn't feel like how I refer to him, but it's just clearer than you know to to clarify between all the Pauls in our life. Um, so he he talked about his own transition. And so, and, and he explained that um, he and Paul Botts are writing this book and it was, it, he had a very funny moment where he said that Paul Botts basically said to him, Paul Hillen, you know, look, if you can come around to the idea of goodness being necessary in leadership, anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, I think, That's right. That's what was right. his line? Yeah. Was, yeah. He said, you're a bag of hammers. I could That's right. You, I can't mold you. So uh, it was, it was just this very funny moment, but um, that, it explained perfectly the partnership of Hillen and Botts on the How Goodness Pays book. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so Hillen previewed uh, a few of the top, uh, a few, uh, a part of the book. Mm-hmm. And, and one part that he previewed was the top five um, qualities that top notch leaders who they interviewed quoted as really important to goodness and leadership. Exactly, yes. It's all through the lens of goodness mm-hmm. and leadership, and mm-hmm. these are the top five that they came up with. And I think it, we'll hear from him. Interestingly, one is empathy, which we've been talking about. Yeah, 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 right. So it'll be fun to hear him go through that again. And then I think we'll spend some time talking about, he talks about the flip side as well. Yes, and right. And so we'll get into that. What is the opposite of goodness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just as a background, so the, the How Goodness Pays book involves a literature review qualitative interviews and quantitative research um and so these top five qualities are out of that qualitative interview research um but there's a lot more data in the book to come but so let's listen to the top five qualities that got pulled out of those research that research so we said when when you say your leader is proactively promoting goodness in the workplace what does that mean here are the top five things team first they're sincere they're authentic They're not saying what you think they think you want them to hear. They're empathetic. They'll walk a mile in your shoes. They spread positivity, and they're ethical. Chloe, this it strikes me that you have a really interesting perspective on leadership because whereas Paul and I come at it from the lens of coaching and facilitating, um, your perspective, some of it was probably shaped back when you were at Target and you were a speechwriter around – you have some interesting stories around that period, but Mm -hmm. you were a speechwriter for some of the executives – so hearing that list of five words, how do you think about it from that lens? I, I... Um, to, I mean, to me, what really comes to mind is stories. So yeah, so I did, I did executive messaging um, both at Target and then at United Health Group mm. um, after Target. And so I've been around, you know, super high level executives and tr- trying to frame, trying to tell them what to say, <laughs> and. Um, or trying to partner with them on developing a message. But <laughs> it's what to say now, what to do. Right, yeah. right. So, and a lot of them, you know, I, I think of um, some execs who were really difficult to work with. If you brought them the wrong iced tea, that is the, you know, nightmare situation blows up. Um, some executives were, you know, like felt like your best friend. Um, but the ones that really got stuff done were direct they didn't you know they pulled no punches but also they were all of these top five things they were totally sincere they stayed positive even if they weren't like happy chip or smiley mm-hmm. they you know they looked at something realistically but with the intention of making it good right with the intention of mm-hmm. progress at the end or success at the end mm-hmm. um and they achieved that success ethically you know and it, so i see all of these things in um 
in a bunch of the high level leaders that I liked working with the most <laughs> and the ones that I didn't like working with I can look back and go oh yeah yeah it's they were not you know he they was their blind spot focused. yeah right exactly totally that makes sense yeah I mean it um Helen talked about this in his messaging which was that there's some common sense elements to what they're finding in mm-hmm. their research totally um which is funny that we need to write a book to tell us common sense stuff but it seems like sometimes you do need <laughs> to, to yeah, bring he, a new light to it and to put the weight of research behind it. And he specifically said what, you know, common sense, which, right, all of these words, none of these words are new, sincere, mm-hmm. positive, you know, right? Mm-hmm. None of these are, like, radical perspectives. But he specifically said common sense is frequently not common practice. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's cool to see these things highlighted and to um, – to think about them again in the juxtaposition of good leadership versus what they were, he basically called bad leadership, right? Yeah. Um, but to think about, you know, what does it actually look like? We were talking about tips for people as pre-book launch. What are some things that you might hold on to? And I, I mean, yeah, it's really hard to argue that those are things, those are the things that make someone want to be on your team. Totally. I think, I mean, I have these five words written down, you know, team, fo- or so team focused is maybe two words officially <laughs> but team focused sincere empathetic positive ethical yeah. that those to me those are such those are five easy things to just check myself on right um right and to check uh people around me on you know and that that's a way to even frame a conversation mm. um if i feel if i feel frustrated in a situation i think you know i can go back to these five descriptions and say what do I feel is lacking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So even as you're processing sure. a relationship yeah, or a exactly. conversation, exactly. I'm excited about the way it could apply to coaching. So he talked also about having a goodness index. Mm-hmm. So In I mean, it's kind of what you're just saying. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Um, but and then I appreciate the framework of it as well. Again, it's so simple and obvious, mm-hmm. but to be able to have then coaching conversations around these different topics, what I think makes good leadership and part of why I'm drawn to working with good leadership, what makes it unique is that. Good leadership has not shied away from the relationship between your professional and your personal life. Yep. And that who we are as people shows up at work. Absolutely. And yeah. so, and some, because some of these five words are not words that you necessarily would tie to work. Po- I think positivity, yeah, that seems obvious in some ways, or empathetic, but those are not words that you hear often in the business yeah. world. Yeah. And so I really appreciate putting energy and momentum behind those. Yeah, absolutely. You, so, you talked a little bit about the um, – so you asked him. There's an interview section after the keynote speech mm-hmm. at the Good Leadership Breakfast. Um, and because you hosted this month's breakfast, you led the interview. Um, and the, the Paul always explains the interview that he's, he's trying to ask the speaker what he thinks the audience wants to know. And so you asked him – you sort of referenced the tips question, yes, right? Yes, that's right. Um, and that – so I asked, ahead, yeah. I asked um, Paul Helen – you know, for those of us who kind of can't wait to read the book because it hasn't come out yet, what do you have, what can you give us in the short term in terms of tips? And he actually took the question and ran with it in a slightly different direction, but it was really interesting for us. Yeah, he sort of reversed it. Exactly. So we had been talking about what good leadership looks like. Well, Paul then said, well, here's the flip side because they were, they had a skeptic who challenged them to say, well, can you actually argue that badness doesn't pay? Right, and they would they would say yes from the research, but then Paul talks about what what is bad leadership. Right, right. So his so he framed his tips as, don't do these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's Not, yeah let's listen to it. Listen. That's great. 
the definition of, of badness or not good in the research, there were a few things. So you asked for three. I'll give you at least two here. One was the opposite of others focused. Those who are self-focused were not seen as good leaders. Um, and so the opposite of being others focused, kind of the empathy piece of it. But, you know, do you really have their success in mind? Are you really thinking about segmenting your employees to say, how do they define success, or do I really treat everybody the same? Do I manage everybody the same? Do I have the same employee benefits, all those kinds of things? So that's the first thing is be others-focused and don't be. The second was self-promoting, taking credit for somebody else's work, right? It was all about them, kind of self-focused or others-focused opposite, but a little bit different twist on it, self-promoting. Um, and then another one was fairness. And fairness wasn't the, am I being treated fairly? You know, a lot of what we've talked about, and it's, it's my definition of fairness as well, are you decisive? Are you quick in making those decisions instead of kicking everything, you know, down a week or two? Um, because there's nothing that's more unfair to an employee than letting them wallow around without making a decision. And then the other piece of it was, you know, everybody knows when you've got an employee who's not pulling their weight, being decisive in moving those people off your team. And they said, when leaders don't do that, then they're not a good leader. So those, I, I thought those were three great focuses. The, the idea of it's self-focus, mm -hmm. self-promoting, and lack of fairness. Mm -hmm. um, and he provided really creative ways to think about all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think the self-focus was, was pretty straightforward, but the... Um, Self-promoting, not just advocating for yourself, but taking advantage of other people's ideas. Right. Um, and then the fairness, thinking about fairness in really different ways. I think all of those those three angles are great challenges for me to reflect on in mm -hmm. my own behavior and interaction for leader. You know, for other leaders yeah. to re reflect on. Yep. What did you think of those? Yeah. Um, I love that you brought it back to yourself because that's where I always want to start too. Is what does this mean for me? Yeah. Um, and the self-promoting one. I, the first thought I had around that is. Man, I think people who do that the most probably recognize it in themselves the least. Mm. Um, Say more about that. What do you mean? Well, I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that rubs everyone else the wrong way. Yeah. And especially the idea stealing. But, I mean, who goes around and says, I steal ideas? Like, I don't sure. think anyone self-identifies with that. So I, Right. I You're saying these people aren't, they're not maliciously manipulative. They're not saying, ooh, I'm going to. You know. I think so. I mean, again, this or could be a Midwestern part. naivety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but my perspective is even the even if they there is some maliciousness in it. I don't. I think that's that's a hard person to coach. That's what I'm thinking yeah, in my head. Sure. That's a hard person to coach. And and that's I guess that's what you're saying about particularly if they don't see it in themselves. Yeah. If they if they don't think that they're behaving badly, exactly. then that's a hard person to coach because how do you have the conversation of you're doing something P People wrong, aren't motivated <laughs> to change unless there's some internal motivation yeah. around it, which that yeah. person likely doesn't have, yeah. or there's external pressure to do it from That's someone who has power over them. So then it's really like, oh, I hope that person hears Paul Hillen <laughs> speak and says, oh, I do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think anyone... So why I thought of that is because I love that you actually ran that through your list. Sure, and thought, sure, 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 sure. Is that something I do? How do I do that? Yeah. It's almost like you have to frame it in a way that's like, ask, has everyone asked that question of themselves? How? Are there, mm -hmm. How am I doing this mm -hmm. so that I can do less of mm -hmm. it? Yeah. That was the first that I had. The second one was I thought his definition of what is being unfair essentially was interesting. And really it, it came 
to be mostly around decisiveness is what mm-hmm. it sounded like in two different mm-hmm. ways. Um, and I completely agree. I see this I see this frequently. So one is not letting people wallow with decisions. So I think what happens, I think that the higher up you get as a leader, it's easier to disconnect from what it felt like when you were lower down. And the thing is, when you're a leader and you have power and your decisions matter to the people below you, they it might matter like times 100 to the person two or three levels below you. And it might matter, like it might be the 100th thing on your list. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yep. And so even though you're putting it off because you don't want to think about it, you're, you are, this you're matters to other people. Work, it's a life, big thing. It's a big thing. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. So I think that's a great reminder for executive leaders. Um, and then, goodness gracious, moving for performers. So you know, we were both at huge companies. You've worked at a lot of different large mm-hmm. companies. I have two. And it is one of the most frustrating things for the team. It is one of the biggest morale yeah. reducers for oh, yeah. teams. And I, I am amazed at how little control executives feel they have in that space. Especially at a place, so you have a place like Cargill, yeah. where I believe things move pretty slowly and um, there's all the collaboration. You know, so things are slower. Right. And everyone wants it to work out with everyone. So right. I think sometimes... Which I think is really rooted in the consensus culture. Totally. Right? It's, you know, it's sort of, it's the flip side of the coin that on one hand, mm-hmm. it's great to, you know, consensus can be really positive yes. and can make everybody feel like they have a share. Right. On the other hand, it can bog stuff down if everyone has a say in it. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes what you see with those cultures is you can't get rid of the dead weight. And sure, I don't sure, mean sure. to talk about people as dead weight. That's yeah, a right. yucky term for the frame. But it's the idea, someone who's not performing well, who's not a match for their role. Yeah. Or who isn't happy to be at their job brings the whole team down. Right. And it's not it's, good for them. It's not good for the people around them. But it's it's really hard for whatever reason for executives to feel like they can make a change. Some of it, I'm sure, is HR lawsuit fears. At least that's what mm-hmm. they say. Yep, yep. But I think there's more around. We talked a little bit about courage. I think there's more around actually just having the direct conversations that's yeah. challenging for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. But that and, – and that – so Paul framing that as actually a positive mm-hmm. thing – you, you just framed it, you know, having that difficult conversation is reflective of courage, but also Paul Hillen's frame of that difficult conversation indicates fair behavior. Exactly. Is, and says to the rest of the team, you know, I, I am not going to, I am going to react fairly to somebody performing exactly. poorly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so what are the big things that you're taking away from this? Are, is there, are there one or two things that you're walking away from? Paul Hillen's speech yeah um I I mean we've talked a lot about this I have so much energy around the idea that leadership can be learned new leadership muscles can be learned Mm -hmm. and you can stretch uh your capabilities and that um so that's one big thing and then I it's I I think the importance of empathy just stands out so much to me I think we again it's not something that gets talked about in corporate cultures frequently and it matters. And it doesn't just matter at the Cargills. It, I, I would imagine that if you have that as a part of your leadership toolkit, even at a place like PNG, where maybe it is more dog-eat-dog, it still will serve you well in different areas there. Yeah, yeah. To me, one thing that I'm walking away from is that there is, with, that I'm walking away with, is that there is um, data that says that this kind of, that goodness pays, literally, that it creates better financial results and that it, you know, that, um, that it is healthier for an organization for someone to be team focused and sincere mm-hmm. and empathetic and positive and ethical that, you know, all of this 
stuff Paul Hillen talks a little bit about like oh is this fluffy BS mm-hmm. but that it turns out actually it's not it is mm-hmm. it actually makes a real genuine difference mm-hmm. um, and that's just very heartening <laughs> to, <laughs> to feel like th- that's mm-hmm. not made up it, mm-hmm. it's you know goodness really does pay mm-hmm. yeah that feels like a perfect note. That's how we end every podcast. So let's hear it from our speaker, Paul Hillen. Goodness pays. And as always, from Good Leadership Enterprises, goodness, goodness pays. pays.